Hi, I'm Will Jarvis. And I'm Will's dad. We both love and are fascinated by stories. Stories about people. Stories about places. And stories about events. Our stories give shape and form to life. They give texture, color, and rhythm to the blank canvas that every new day presents to us. And they do that by informing us of our past as a directional marker for our future. Okay, Will, it's narrative time. Tell me a story. Hey, folks. Um, I hope you're all doing well today. It's a beautiful summer evening in August here in Fleetwood, North Carolina. Looking off the porch here at some nice-looking mountains. We've got uh, Avery Barr here with me. I've known Avery. Avery, how many years have I known you now? Uh, it'd be 2012. So. Oh, my God. Eight years. About eight years on the Good Lord. On the dot. Good Lord. Do you remember how we met? Not exactly. I just remember we lived across the hall from each other freshman year. Granville Towers. Granville the Towers. academic floor. And who and, would believe that now? And you uh, you played mandolin, and I played mandolin and guitar, and <laughs> it was, it was my a roommate made. played banjo, guitar, mandolin. Leslie, we're going to have him on the yeah. show sometime, too. Dr. Absolutely. Rutten. Yeah, we kind of bonded over bluegrass music folk music good stuff avery's quite talented musician as well <laughs> it's now taking up the bass as well which i think is pretty cool it's a lot of fun i've enjoyed it it's definitely i don't yeah. like the solo so no one expects the bass to <laughs> right. solo just, exactly no they don't yeah it's, it's <laughs> awesome man so um you graduated from unc with me 2016 16. Right? and you're you majored in biology and history mm -hmm. which i think is pretty awesome and can you tell us a little bit about what you do now? And this is part of the reason why we're having the podcast, because I think this is super fascinating. So I'm a third-generation Christmas tree farmer in uh, Ash County, North Carolina. And our farm started in the 1960s with my grandpa. And That's awesome. And my dad took over in the two, in 2007. Very cool. So Very cool. And where do you guys have farms? We're based out of Crumpler, North Carolina, home of Shatley Springs uh, Very nice. Restaurant, if Got some good family style breakfast and fried chicken. Check a fried chicken. Check it ten out. Ten out of ten would recommend. Ten out uh, of ten would recommend. We have farms in Virginia, Mouth of Wilson, Rugby, just right over the border. Nice. And then uh, we also have some in West Jefferson. That's awesome. Various various other little places around Dash County. That's really cool. So if you think about it, you know, you really are. Your life really is a a conglomeration of biology. And history, history right exactly this is a historical farm <laughs> right it's perfect it is perfect very cool so uh get started off can you tell us a little bit about the christmas tree growing process what that looks like how long it takes um how involved it is you know yeah so uh from seed you're looking at five years to get the first foot and then after that it's about a foot a year after a foot a year so for a seven to eight foot tree you're looking at 10 to 13 years oh wow so it involves Which a lot of yeah so planning mm -hmm. that's super then, so you have to plan your or plant your fields close and then go go through and slowly kind of uh, thin them out so that you're able to grow bigger trees and they're not growing in on each other and Gotcha. Damage. Gotcha. So on a yearly basis, so you so you plant them. So where do you get the seeds from? First off, so the seed comes from one of five places in the Appalachian Mountains. 
And those are the five naturally occurring uh, seed sources for Fraser fir. Very cool. And it's like Roan Mountain, White Top Mountain, Virginia, uh, Balsam Highlands in down near Asheville. Gotcha. Uh, and Mount Mitchell. And there's a few, there's maybe one more. I think I only did four. Very cool. But So that's where they naturally occur, and that's where the seed comes from. And we, so five years ago, we started growing from seed. And so that, we start planting seed in March, April, probably April, April, May. Gotcha. That's a good time to do it. Good time to do it. Usually you don't have to worry about frost or any sort of late winter shenanigans right absolutely winter's coming north carolina we're known to have spring and second spring a lot a lot of weird winter yeah weird weather patterns that's interesting so um the so you you grow fraser firs is that correct north carolina fraser fir and so this is the only place they occur is in on those five Mm. naturally occurring yeah Yeah. and have they been um have they been bred at all to their current standard or what do you know what that looks like yeah, so they uh, and we're actually there's a it's uh, it's Dr. John Frampton. He did a lot of work with Christmas tree genetics at NC State, and he just has retired. And so oh, he really? started a uh, kind of an experiment. Got families from uh, all five of the naturally occurring ranges and bred them and Very grew cool. them out and selected. And so we're it's and then he's created it's part created the uh, NC Fraser Fir Seed Co-op. Awesome. And so it's, I think, the second generation of these selected families that sh- should have high needle retention, hopefully some disease resistance. Very cool. It's, you know, maybe have some growth growth factors that could help accelerate the process. Right. Absolutely. And, and so uh, I, I guess looking at the future, um, I, I know actually we were talking a couple of days ago, and you mentioned CRISPR-Cas9, which I thought that's yeah. awesome can you tell us a little bit uh just super high level what CRISPR is and what it could do for kind of christmas trees down the road so CRISPR is a gene editing technique that's right as i as i understand it i, I don't have a huge a great grasp but and so they've been able to insert ideally we'd be able to insert maybe some disease resistance genes such as one of the biggest threats to fraser fir is the is phytophthora root rot which cur- occurs in the ground it's a water mold and it's once it gets into a piece of uh, into the ground, it's very difficult, if not almost impossible, to get rid of it even twenty years down the road. Really, and so there are naturally occurring fur species that do have natural have natural resistance to it. So that's really and for. so ideally they would have a gene, and we could find that gene and insert it into a Fraser fur and gotcha. Because we're the Fraser fir is very susceptible, really to phytophthora. Yeah, it's oh, and man. then uh, the phytophthora we have here is one of the more aggressive types, the more aggressive species, and it's more susceptible. So it's just a perfect storm for. Interesting. And that's why when you see if you're riding through Christmas tree country and you see low flat areas, yeah, in riverbanks, there it's usually not planted in Christmas in Fraser fir because it's that's usually high top. Up. Yeah, they're on slopes. Just to avoid that. Just to avoid, yeah, because it like it travels through water. So interesting. So you just want any sort of standing water is not not great for. Gotcha. You're just kind of asking for right. trouble. Right. So, so you opt more for. So um, that that's super interesting. So essentially, what you try to do is avoid it. There's not much you can do if. Right. Avoid it and then use as much precaution as you can to try to not spread it. Gotcha. To good ground. 
Interesting. No, that's and that's ha- and that has that that practice has kind of evolved over the over time. You know, over time. That's super interesting. So I'm assuming so. There's other types of Christmas trees as well, right? There but, are, yeah, there. Uh, it started out one of the early one was white pine. People would grow white pine mm. because it's fast growing. It's easy to, and then you could also use it for timber. I see. So, a lot of dual du- dual, dual purpose. purpose. And then there's also there's a Douglas fir, which is more of a Pacific Northwest and Pennsylvania air. Midway. Gotcha. And then a Concolor fir. And uh, balsam fir, which we've gotcha. actually brought, uh, comes from, we've brought some in from uh, C- Canada. Oh, really? Interesting. Super interesting. So so once you have the seeds in the ground, um, what does kind of maintenance look like for the trees on, on a yearly basis before they're fully grown? So it's uh, pesticide, pesticide applications, herbicides, uh, insecticide just to main kind of keep them healthy, right. uh, fertilize, of course. And then you've got shearing, which is trimming it, giving it that kind of natural or that cone shape. Gotcha. And that also helps with, because uh, like in uh, Europe, they have more loose Christmas trees. They've got more space in between the Interesting. needles. And so we're waiting in America, we like the tight, full tree. So Different style. Yeah. So it, that, you know, you have to shear them and. Help them get that natural, nice little Christmas shape. That's super cool. That is super cool. So once you get the to kind of the uh, you know you've shared them, you've you've kept them up. You know, get to year twelve. What do you do? You go in, you kind of shape them up one more time, mm-hmm. cut yeah. them down. What does that so look like? So you'll go through. Uh, we've got a crew of two guys that have been doing it for quite a while. They, they go through and they tag the trees, whether it's a, based on height and also quality. Gotcha. So we do number ones, number twos, number threes. And your number one should be a really nice Christmas tree. Your number twos might have a hole, might have a broken, you know, not not perfect. And then your number threes are usually your, we need to clean a field out. I see. It'll do in a pinch (laughs) as a Christmas tree. It will be a tree. (laughs) It'll be, yeah, your Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Gotcha. And then a lot of people buy those for, uh, to make wreaths and roping. I see. So they can, yeah. Makes sense. But so they go through and do that in right now, July, August. Super cool. And then uh, come Halloween, middle October after Halloween, you go in and cut them down and bail them up and get them loaded on trucks. And you're good to go. That's and that awesome. usually lasts until right around Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. Some people, some some growers go all the way up until like December 10th, early. Oh, wow. You know. Kind of depends what sort of stores you're working with and right. how 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 long they want to supply trees. Right. Very. It's super interesting. Interesting. So, um, you've got them. So we're based. You're based. We're closest to Boone. That's a good reference point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for people um, who aren't in the know, shall we say? <laughs> um, uh, and where do you guys sell trees? Where we can sell people a lot find of, them? We uh, we have a one wholesale lot in Wilmington, North Carolina. Nice. And we've been in Wilmington for 35-plus years. Oh, wow. And so it's cool. We've got, you know, we'll have adults now that come in. And like, oh, yeah, I helped your dad. I helped your grandpa when he first moved, came down to Wilmington. And, you know, they'll, even, they'll have their kids. And That's Sometimes cool. it's even their kids, their grandchildren. That's are awesome. coming to get trees. And we have a lot of, a lot of loyal 
customers. Loyal customers that have followed us because we've moved several different times That's around cool. Wilmington. and So we've had a, yeah, it's been good. And then we also, we do wholesale trees, mainly into the Midwest. Interesting. Illinois, Ohio. Gotcha. Then we do some Louisiana, a uh, little bit into Florida. Interesting. Super cool. And and where can they find you in Wilmington this year? Uh, and I can edit this and add it back. We'll no, I, we've been at the, I think we'll be at the corner of Shipyard and Shipyard and Independence. Very cool. Awesome. I think, I think they're both boulevards. Very boulevards, that's <laughs> well, right. That's yeah. right. That's awesome. Close to the Independence Mall, but uh, actually, I guess actually it's not. It's on the other end of Independence. That's away super from cool. The mall, but. Uh, have you, um, you know, this is a side tangent, and I'm coming off of my <laughs> outline here, but have you guys ever thought about uh, direct-to-consumer? You already do direct-to-consumer with a lot lot in Wilmington, but, you know, I'm thinking kind of this kind of startup internet approach, but that's my background. <laughs> so, uh, you know, running Facebook ads um, and selling trees directly to consumers and then delivering them and, and charging premium that way for kind of the service. So we no, we have not. Uh, I think Amazon tried – did they try two to do that years ago? And I don't think I think it was much more difficult than it. Than it. They had a like a six foot box for a six to seven foot tree. Ah, uh, I just get crushed. And, yeah, and destroyed. And for for measurement purposes, a six foot tree usually is about seven foot. Six to seven foot trees about seven foot to the tip. So <laughs> not yeah, quite. So yeah, the logistics didn't work out. But there have been. Uh, Quite a few different growers do direct to consumer. We try to uh, do that wreaths, wreaths, and wreaths have, and be sense. yeah, be have, yeah. you know pretty good success with it. Gotcha. Yeah, it sounds like you would almost have to have, you know, you driving the trees to someone to actually yeah. make it you know work right, which is not feasible because there's only one of you. Yeah, and I uh, people are kind of particular with their trees. That's true. They do like to pick them they out. Like That's a good point. Trees, That's a good so. point. You know, if I send them a, if I show them a picture and they don't get that exact tree, they, they might not be very happy. <laughs> might be a little mad, a little mad. That's, but, that's super interesting. But I, you know, the way the world changes, there's no that may be the future. I'm telling, just something to keep your eye on, I guess. Yeah. Right? That's cool. That's cool. Um, trademark. Trademark. <laughs> TM. TM. Right. Right. We have copyright. This, no doubt, man. No <laughs> doubt. That that's awesome. So I, I, I love this because I think, uh, you know, Christmas trees, what a cool business, man. You get to work on Christmas all year long. It is. It's a it's a fun business. And the, the only downfall is I usually get in the Christmas spirit <laughs> first of November. <laughs> You're in the so Christmas spirit. So you got, it takes, you know, then by December, You're like, I'm kind of burnt out. But, <laughs> I'm tired of Christmas. But getting, you know, when we go down to the tree lot. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier because then you get all the kids really happy Running and excited. Out and excited about it. That's cool. And so that make yeah, that's that's really the the fun part of the that's call really experiences. Cool. Absolutely, that's awesome. Um, so I, do you? It, I don't know if you have any stories about how your grandfather got into it originally. Uh, so originally our family ran a furniture company, interesting furniture and chair company. Uh, Phoenix Phoenix Chair come Phoenix Chair. Gotcha. And so he uh, he was working there, and he just kind of said, "I'm I'm gonna get into the tree business a little bit, not full time, right? And just on the side, dabbled in them. And then sometime in the '60s, the chair the chair the company sold gotcha. to Thomasville. Ah, I think. And uh, after that, he he decided he would go full time into the. That's into cool, the man. tree business 
and it was born. And it was born. Been here ever since. And I think it's not. I think '67. I'm not. Don't quote me on that. But it's it's been a while. Very cool. And so he and then he would actually go. He would travel around and talk to the buyers or the stores. Right. And we still have we have some customers that have been with us for quite a while, and they'll they'll call me. How's How's Wilson? He doing well, you know. I haven't seen him in a while. That's awesome. And he still comes down to the farm. Really? With coronavirus, he was That's unable. Yeah, it's a. But yeah, just about every every day he would he'll come really? down and. That is awesome. I won't say what he does on his computer, but it's <laughs> plays a lot of solitaire. <laughs> plays a lot. He's of there. He's there. He's there. You know, that's that's what counts. <laughs> he's uh, that's awesome. That's he'll awesome. be eighty two. Oh, that's so cool, dude. In. Think eighty two in December, so that is super awesome, man. He's still it's it's fun. It's a good family base. It's a lot of fun being able to work with your grandparents and your parents. It is most of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, that's super interesting. So it's funny. Uh, recently, I was talking about. I may have been talking about that on the podcast about this. Um, how farmland is actually a really good asset in terms. Of, we're getting into finance now. I got here. I go. Um, but a real, and this is a good, great transition, great segue to some of your your finance ventures and things. <laughs> uh, um, uh, side note: SEC, you know, we're not providing any investment <laughs> advice here. Uh, we're just you know, don't listen to us. Um, but uh, farmland is a really good asset because um, there's it's tax advantaged, unlike regular land. And the other thing is it's illiquid; it's hard to sell. So um, you can actually keep it in families longer because mm-hmm. you know if you know if you or I we just got a you know big chunk of stock or something it's like oh well this is pretty easy to hit sell on Robin Hood right <laughs> you know um, whereas farmland it's like man that's pretty difficult to get rid of you yeah. know what I mean um, and there's large transaction costs involved with it, which I think is interesting um, but you've done a little bit of investing yourself I know you've got a little well, club well, yeah we've got a little investment club M and M Investments that's awesome. It's it's been it's doing pretty good right now. We were we hit big on uh, Tesla. Tesla. Tesla and Apple have done very right, well for well. us. Done well. That's awesome, man. Uh, so you're like uh, Warren Buffett and not Warren Buffett. Exactly. Like, that's awesome. That's I have cool. to give credit to my cousin Tyler. He's the he's the Warren Buffett. The mastermind of the mastermind. I, <laughs> no. I'm just the yes man. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Everybody needs one. I just that's have a... to walk him off the ledges when he gets a little too excited. Right. He's like, oh man, might want to slow but... down a little bit. That's awesome. <laughs> but. That's really cool. Um, and uh, another interesting fact, uh, we should have brought this up in the beginning, but uh, you're also a high school football coach. I am. Is that correct? Go Huskies. Yeah. So which team do you coach for? It's the Ash County High School, home Very of the cool. Huskies. That's awesome. And what do you coach? I coach the offensive line. That is awesome. That's all. And how did you get into it? Well, I started playing football in the third grade. Nice. It's a funny story. Is the first day of practice, and I don't remember. This is all through, through tales. Hearsay. Hearsay. Yeah. <laughs> so the first day of practice, we were we were going to, we were finished, and apparently my dad had told me if you don't like this, you don't have to play. Okay. And so I went to practice, and the head coach was taking me home or taking me back to to my dad. Or, yeah. And I looked at him. He said, "I said, you know, my dad said if I don't like this, I don't have to play, but." <laughs> I kind of like this. <laughs> That's so, awesome. So I've been playing ever since, and uh, always just enjoyed the sport. Think it gives it's good teamwork. Right, absolutely. You know, enjoy watching it. It's a great, great American game. Great American game, and uh, 
And so my uncle, well, when, in the fifth and sixth grade, my dad and my uncle were head, were coaches. Oh, nice. And we were oh, rusty. Yeah. That's and so awesome. I think we we might have lost a game. We One were very game. successful fifth and sixth grade. <laughs> very very big deal. You know, ran ran the no huddles, ran no huddle. <laughs> it was That's it awesome. was a really advanced offense oh, yeah. for fifth and sixth grade football. But they were they got it. That's like awesome. eight different formations. Oh my and god! Wristbands and nah, there's most D1 athletes going. So they had rock a, that, and they had t- they talked to Gene Chizik. No, that no way. No, no, because Gus Malzahn. Gus, Gus Malzahn is the other that's awesome. On, on no way, that's coach. awesome. And this was he he was in. I think he was still coaching high school. Oh and, really? So he was he was kind of a relatively unknown. That's amazing, dude. Uh, and so they got some trick plays from him, and we had a lot of fun, and then. Of course, you know, through high school, kept playing. And, right, right. And then, so when I got out of college, I told my dad, I said, well, I'd like to start coaching youth football. Yeah. You know, not not trying to start too high. Right, you know. Fine. And uh, my uncle was still coaching at the middle school. And so nice. He, he said, well, I'll talk to Chris and see if he, he'll let you come come on as an assistant. And, of yeah. course, he did. And I, I helped. So I was the assistant offensive line coach. And I nice. did special teams. Awesome. That's so, awesome. I did that for two years, and then uh, actually he retired. The the first after my first year, he retired. We went undefeated, won the Super Bowl. Nice. Got some got a ring. So. <laughs> got a ring. Got rings. Really big rings. <laughs> and then the next year, we weren't as successful. And it that happens. and that head coach, uh, he retired as he kind of stepped down and retired. He had been doing it for gotcha. twenty years. Yeah. He decided. So at that point, I was kind of. In my head, I haven't heard anything from the middle school athletic director, but I was just thinking that I might have to be the f- head football coach at the Here middle school go. next year. Here we go. Here we go. So it the high school was having spring train, spring practice, yeah. and I, I went and I, I walked. I just kind of went just to learn the offense because we were running yeah. the same. We were in the, the air raid. Nice. And so I went in. I was just kind of there just watching, observing, trying to figure out how to be able to teach middle schoolers right. this offense. And just b- before we get any farther, what's the air raid for our listeners? So it's an offense uh, based more on the passing game, gotcha, than the running game. Uh, but it, it's it's based on like space and spreading spreading teams out vertically as well as horizontally, gotcha. And then just kind of attacking space where they're not. Nice. And uh, I don't know exactly. I don't. I don't want to be sacrilegious because there's some air raid purists. So I won't. <laughs> okay. But it's been, you know, it's had some successful. I know Cliff Kingsbury's running in the yeah. NFL and uh, Mike Leach. Mike I'm, Leach, I'm a big, big, big fan sword. of Mike Leach. Absolutely. Uh, he's at, he's now at Mississippi State running the air raid, and there's a Halm, Halm, I don't want to butcher his last name, but I think it's Mummy. Yeah. Hal Mummy, and he, I, I don't want to, you know, I think he was one of the, kind of the pioneers of the offense gotcha so so for an air raid offense i guess you need a good quarterback yeah good quarterback um, uh and it's in the really the great thing about it is it's a lot of that gives the quarterback a lot of freedom once they okay. kind of get the system and understand how things should work super interesting you know uh one of mike leach's quarterbacks said he would basically look at he would look over to coach leach and coach leach would tell him you check or you, you know, you call the play. Gotcha. You know? And he'll even do that when they get mad, when he gets mad at him if they're not doing well. He'll say, "Well, you just call the offense." I don't, <laughs> That's funny. Know, That's we stink. Funny. We it's on you. Right. That's super interesting. And so it gives your quarterback a lot of freedom, and it's gotcha. 
I won't say it's simple, yeah, but I think it's a very quarterback. It's a very friendly offense if you can learn your progressions and your reads. Very understandable. Yeah, gotcha. Are there any other kind of special player requirements in the air raid like that you can think of? So, isn't the offensive line spaced out more? A little more spaced little out. More spaced out. I know Mike Leach is way into that. Yeah. There was a there was a video with the social distancing. It was talking about <laughs> all the coaches during quarantine and with COVID, and uh, and it got in one. He was impersonating. He got to Michael Leach and he said, uh, "Social distancing. All right, make the line split six foot." <laughs> yeah, you know, right, right, right. It's not quite. It's not that big, but it's a yeah. They do wider splits. Wider splits. And that too also opens up the run game. You know. Create more right. space this way. Absolutely. So, real, ideally, you would you're almost unable to cover it. You know, if you put right. people in the box to stop the run game, right? Well, then they're just going to pick you apart on the outside. On the outside. If you stack up on the outside, we'll we'll hit you inside with all sorts of right. screens and runs. And right. That's interesting. So, not uh, one of the other is a if you can have a running back that is also can catch the ball and. Really you know, he's just another. He becomes another threat, not only in the run game, but within the passing game. Right. That makes you know, and then of course, if your quarterback can run the ball, that's always that, that really helps. Difficult really thing helps. to absolutely account for. Really hard to cover, but and, and you've had success with that kind of teaching that to kids as well. Yeah, yeah. Our, that's uh, our offensive coordinator Drew Piscopo is really been really dinner. great. Nice. And of course, uh, Brian Hampton. Very gets nice. All the, gets all the credit. Gotcha. I, I know, like. Go ahead. He's been doing, he's he's more of a defensive and so defensive coach, so and he's he's been running the defense and Nice. That's super keeping interesting. Locked down, but he gets all the credit. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's super interesting. Yeah, I know uh, Mike Leach, I, so you, you actually recommended his book to to me and Abby got it for me, funny enough. It was quite good. Um and, and I one of the, my favorite things about uh you know, what what Mike said is kind of from a management perspective, is making things intelligible. So making sure that the quarterback understands what um he needs to do and keeping things simple yeah instead of having some massive playbook that they have to learn and that's the when you watch it on film it seems like a really complicated system yeah just because there's so many little variations but really you know our 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 play sheet is it's a single sheet of paper nice and it's you know and it's it's basically as complicated as you want to make your call sheet right our play it's 20 plays maybe that's awesome and that's including that's with your runs and screens and yeah so it's it's so i I would like to see someone kind of break down yeah like scout against it just to see how complicated they want to try to make it right absolutely yeah it's yeah that's a that's a that's a great analysis very cool so he he executed making it a simple easy to easy to manage offense absolutely super cool and so, for you as an offensive line coach, are there things like, are there things you think about that like the average person or average coach you think misses, like in your approach, that they, they you find important? No, not necessarily. Not the, not coaches. Now a lot of uh, you have a lot of fans that you know offensive lines kind of a. It's the most you, important part. It's, it's, it's funny enough. It's very important, but you don't get much you only get credit when you don't do something good right exactly it's not the credit you want to you want to receive absolutely and so that's i've just noticed that sometimes they'll be getting they'll be giving the offensive line a hard time and it's like well we're you know we're doing our better we're 
you know, they brought six people. There's only five of us to There's pick up a so blitz. Much you can do. We can't. We can't block six. So. Right. Yeah. But no, I. I Super. I just try to learn from all Absolutely. the really good coaches out there. Definitely, definitely. That is, Hopefully, bring it to the to my players. Absolutely, that's but so we'd, cool. Uh, we've let's see. Assuming we get to play this year, twenty twenty, yeah. we'll uh, we'll be def- the two time defending uh, Mountain Valley Athletic Conference champions. Dude, that's awesome, so man! We've had a lot of success over the past two years, and should have a really good team this year. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm hoping we'll get to play. That's all, and, and we've talked about this before, but have you ever thought about coaching at a higher level? A little bit, not a little bit. yeah. It's a it's a lot. It's a, lot. it's a whole lot. I don't know if I'm qualified yet to, well, to try to make it, but it, it would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. This, <laughs> I, is, this is how you it start, seems man. Fun. It's how you start. I'd say it's a lot. It's a it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, and that's one thing. That's one thing I've getting into coaching is how much work it's very coaches put in that. Oh yeah, you, yeah. That your your normal fan just don't realize. Just the hours. Yeah, like uh, I mean, we we'll have we have film study Saturday mornings at seven at eight, Ooh. and I roll in, of course. Eight o'clock, maybe a little later yeah. after a Friday, you know, after the game Friday. Yeah, kind of tired. Yeah, and our head coach has been there since six, six forty, six thirty, seven oh o'clock. God. And this is this is for high school too. And this is for high school, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I wow. think uh, I think Bill Belichick. If people want a job, he'll offer him. It's like twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and like forty eight hours a week or fifty hours. It's some it's some crazy some amount nuts. of work for very little yeah. pay just to you know, if you really enjoy it and want to stick around he'll you'll he'll keep it. you but Yeah. But you'll But you're you're gonna pay the you're gonna be, put in the work but it'd be pretty it'd be pretty awesome to learn from him, man. Yeah. Hey, if you ever get the opportunity I'm gonna make <laughs> I'm gonna make you take it. Oh, I, I think I would. <laughs> like, no, it, it's awesome. And you know, like speaking of Bill Belichick, it, it is um astonishing to me when when the environment is as competitive as the NFL is, and there's you know so much money goes into it, the moves he can make. But then again, and you sit there and look at it, it's like I, I think one of the big problems the NFL has most coaches, um, they all try to imitate other people. Yeah, they're, well, they're, it's, it's a it's a copycat league. It's a copycat, right? That's what they say, right? It's a copycat league, and um, you know, Bill Belichick is one of the only people I think that he actually thinks for himself yeah. at the end of the day. Like I actually He's think always, he just sits there. He looks down at the blank sheet of paper and says, "I think this is what we should do." Yeah, I don't know how he does it, but he's always. It seems like he's always one step ahead of, Man, like of the, everyone else. And it's like know, the gets a lot thing. out of his players. Exactly. You know, I mean, had Tom Brady, who's the 199th pick. Yeah. Chances are better if he hadn't been drafted to the Patriots, and of course got some lucky breaks to even to get on the field. Yeah. He's a nobody. Complete nobody. But uh, which is there nuts. He is six Super Bowls later. Exactly twenty some years. Nuts. Well, and it's like uh, even even more like, like this season. I've been thinking about. We'll see how this plays out with Cam Newton. Um, but if you look at it from a blank sheet of paper, and you told me as a GM that I could get a MVP caliber quarter, caliber quarterback for a million dollars, you know, oh, I'll take yes. my chances. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that he could be injured, but you know, still. And there have been a lot of a lot of players come out and say that you know if Cam Newton ever learns how to play football, like really play NFL football, you won't stop him. Yeah, you know he's, no. he's bigger. He's a he's a defensive end. Yeah, playing quarterback. 
It's nuts, man. You know, and he's got he's had two years to heal up. And two years to heal up. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would take my chances. Yes, I, I for a million bucks. There's no you would be stupid. Cam, if you have any eligibility left in high school, North Carolina high school football, <laughs> have we got Ash the County. place for you, man? Have Ash we County got the place a, for you? Has a spot. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that is, dude, that is super awesome. And also, I don't want to take any way, anything away from Tom Brady. He's of course had a very successful career. Absolutely, but it, it really will be the natural experiment right now. I mean, less so now that we have Cam Newton. Um, if we didn't have Cam Newton playing. It really would be a natural experiment. Is it Brady or Belichick? Yeah. Is it the manager or is it? You know, I think the player it's a little bit of both. A little bit of both. I think they'll, but I think they'll both be very successful. It'll be interesting. It It'll will be interesting. Be interesting. I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I think I'm actually of the mind. I think at the end of the day, it will be one or the other. Actually, surprisingly, more than people think. I think it will be. You know, probably eighty percent one way, twenty percent the other. Yeah. And but. I think the hardest thing is going to be with you know, Belichick's. The coach, his physically, he doesn't have to perform. He just had mentally and right. He has to be there. But Brady, you know, he's like forty, forty three. Yeah, which is which is old for a quarterback. It is old even for a on, even on quarterback standards, he's getting yeah. pretty old. He's so, pretty old. You know, is is it that he, you know, in his prime, if he would have gone away, right? Would he, you know, how if assuming he doesn't do his as well, That's you know, a good he, point. you've always got age that. Maybe right. he just lost his fa- father. Time's undefeated. Exactly, father time is undefeated, and you know there's there's only so many repetitions that arm can handle. Yeah, you know, but, that. But I, I won't I won't bet against him. I wouldn't bet no. against him. <laughs> I don't think I would bet against him. But yeah, I, I think in a in a if if Belichick has a decent quarterback, I would not bet against Belichick no. ever. No. Ever. I think that's the truth. And that's yeah. we uh, in this. Uh, I don't know if this is going to come out how soon but if it's and i don't you know this we may be playing football already but where he had all these players opt out to not play yeah you know normal coach normal normal organizations people are like well he just they just don't want to play or they've got health and safety reasons and because it's the patriots everybody's like what does belichick know what does he know what is what is, what is what's know? we're looking at his right hand what's he doing with his <laughs> left hand that exactly. we're not aware of yet exactly do do does the team get some benefit for opt out? I don't know. I'm really curious. Uh, no, I don't know. Salary cap space or something weird like that's that. That's what they're they're thinking. That's what they're that would be assuming is that he's it's somehow going to open up salary cap space, and then those players are going to get to come back, and Andy's got salary cap space to go sign some big free agent, and that <laughs> you know. <laughs> Who knows, man? Anyone but Belichick, but he's always playing. He's playing chess. Oh man, he's playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers, checkers. man. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. That's dude, that is that that is super interesting. Um, so I also wanted to cover uh, another kind of shared interest we have. Um, uh, early twentieth century history, <laughs> early to mid twentieth century history. Um, so I know you. Well, this is even earlier than that i know you wrote a uh, thesis on martin luther is that correct i did back in the day that, that was pretty I, interesting I, I wrote one i won't say it was a word i won't say it was enlightening or thought-provoking but, <laughs> but it happened it's a tw- it's a 20 20 some page paper that does exist the, just like the 21 thesis it went, <laughs> on, it went on somebody's door so it's pretty good <sighs> but um you know uh we also share you have a shared interest in world war ii and the events leading up to it um Super interesting 
to look back on. Um, last week we were actually talking about uh, kind of the tragedies in the Ukraine on the podcast. Um, oh yeah, that's nuts and underrated. Uh, I would yeah, say. Extra- yeah, you uh, you recommended. I think it's Bloodlands. Bloodlands. Yeah, I don't know who it's by, but out. it is. Yeah, it is worth. It is eye opening. Yeah, and even as someone that I mean, I didn't. I studied mostly Germany, and then pre soviet union russia were kind of so i I kind of skipped over the whole stalin era era yeah and it was i mean just the numbers alone are just it's the numbers are staggering it's staggering just just mind-blowing it's so and and as a side note for the the listeners on today um bloodlands describes the um so you know traditionally we think of the holocaust um, the famines in the Ukraine, the gulags in so Soviet Union. Um, but we don't traditionally think of everyone that was killed um, just on the Eastern Front. Yeah. You know, shot in forests. Um, and it is it is a staggering number of people. I think it talks about, it's, yeah, it's like the, it, it's the land between Hitler and Stalin. Yep. Just, yeah. And so I, I haven't gotten it in the... They might be in the world. They've just, I think, in where I am, they just have invaded Poland. Oh, man. So you know, things are just getting just bad getting for some people. And it's been pretty bad for some people Air for runs. quite a while. So it's bananas. But it's, it really, it's, you know, it's just, I mean, I didn't, the Ukrainian, I didn't, yeah, I was completely unaware. Yeah, it's just nuts. It's just and nuts. then you hear, and then, the, you know, the, the how just, I mean, they they couldn't win, and you know, nope. of course, the government they knew they were starving and dying, and they just didn't care. And you know, they would make excuses. Well, you're you're har you're harboring food because you're a a kulak or a yeah. You know, you're you're you don't care for the state, so we're not going to help you. And they didn't have the food. You know, it's not that they were harboring; it's they didn't have it. It didn't. It, I think uh, they said the first year with the food quotas they had a really great harvest just yeah. kind of luck still, of the, still luck kind of, of draw. and then after that it was you know they, then that became the gold standard and right you know even even in a perfect world they probably wouldn't have been able to reproduce no. that and so yeah well and, and i think it's a we have a great example here can we imagine if you know if the u.s government came in and said avery you know y'all at the bar bar farms we're collectivizing the bar farms. You no longer own any of the profits of the trees that you sell. Um, I have a feeling you would probably work a little less hard. I think so as well. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. It depends yeah. how much skin I've I stand to lose. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and even threatening to shoot you. You know, I don't know. Uh, maybe not the best incentive. Yeah. I don't know. Um, super interesting. It is, and I've always the. Oh, I don't, and it's kind of a morbid fascination yeah. with you know Nazi Germany and Hitler and just how how a con- how yes and just how people can become so wrapped so up into something. And, and, yeah, no and, doubt, and yeah. everyone too. And uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, underrated. Know, and I, uh, I think it was Jordan Peterson. Yeah, he's a Canadian professor, psychology, I, psychology. Yeah. yeah, and he always talks about you know people are always thinking, well, if I was in Nazi Germany, I wouldn't be part of the Nazi army. Well, if I was I in Vichy Nazi, France, you yeah. know, uh, no way I would, I'm collaborating, yeah. right? And he's and you know he's like, well, unfortunately, I hate to tell you, you <laughs> chances are better. You probably would be, you know. So it's, it's I don't. It's just it's kind of a, 
how how do you get there like, how and, and how can we stop it from ever happening yeah here or anywhere again anywhere exactly else, you know and of course those aren't the only two no I know, uh Mao's China was, certainly wasn't a pleasant place, place. to be. <laughs> Pinochet's Chile, yeah. No, even, uh, and even, you know, Robespierre's France. Not quite rosy. Yeah. I've got to say. Yeah, you know, it, it's super interesting. So there's a public opinion poll, and um, this has been verified, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was like 90% of people in 1934 in Germany supported the Nazi government. Like, everyone and and even when you look at the people that um resisted essentially you know it was um some generals in the army that thought hitler was mismanaging the war i mean that is the extent of like the resistance there's a couple of college students but there's so few you could you know write them on a couple pieces of paper um which is just so tough to grok yeah It, it almost makes me think really bad things happen when you have 95 plus percent of the population that agrees with it yeah some wacky things so whenever i see you know everybody's like oh that's fine i'm like man i don't know you know are we missing something i don't know what's yeah it's bananas but and the other thing that blows my mind is how temporally close these events are just how close we are in time to world war ii um you know zachary taylor's grandson's still alive I don't know if you knew that. He, no, I didn't. Yeah, well, Zachary Taylor had a kid at like 60-something, and this kid had a kid at 60-something, and so there you go. His grandson's still alive. Awesome. But, you know, World War II, like, temporarily oh, quite close. Quite a, there's, still, I, there's still a few quite a few veterans, you know. So still kicking around. Still kicking around. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And uh, then, you know, also another is the kind of the I really, the lead-up to World War One even is yes. kind of a – and interesting like you had the i can't remember how it but it's like this the sleepwalker european sleepwalk oh man is that you know nothing was ever like intentionally escalated so much but ever it just kind of slowly know, they, cranked up cranked they, up they assassinated franz ferdinand and this drug x amount of pen and then you know it just europe kind of collectively just sleptwalked into world war one oh yeah and hundreds of thousands if not millions of deaths yeah exactly so i'm I'm looking this up right now there's a great um let's see when i'm finding remembering when this book was published okay there's a great book um called the great illusion it was published in 1909 and the thesis of the book was that there's this great illusion that conflict is coming in europe and that this would never happen right like yeah and the and you know when they went off to war they were excited they said oh this will be a quick war we'll right. be home by Christmas exactly four years later not so much <laughs> right exactly yeah and then uh and I actually uh our roommate Wesley doctor, yeah Doctor Roden Doctor Roden I guess now he's now Doctor Roden <laughs> that's right he uh he sent me an interesting podcast talking about the 1918 flu and kind of post 1918 how it impacted certain things yeah. And one of the interesting things there was, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't really realize, but they were talking about uh, Woodrow Wilson. Oh yeah. And the French prime minister, or president, however, arguing over, you know, would he wanted the League of uh, Nations, League of Nations, and uh, the French, he wanted Ger- Germany to basically, which it ends up what happened, 
But they said up until a certain point, Woodrow Wilson was adamant. Like, you know, they would get into a room and argue and scream at each other for Wait, hours on idea. end. And then he came down with the sickness. Uh, he got and after up. that, he wasn't so f- such a feverish defender of the League of Nations. Really? And, and France and the Prime Minister was able to get his way. And, wow. Know, of course, then you have reparations. And, and all the, yep. Reparations leads to some bad stuff of, uh, the nazis and hitler and then you have world war Two. so you know you just kind of that domino effect of, of the butterfly effect exactly how small things can how smallish woodrow wilson getting potentially contracting the spanish flu of 1918 wow that's super which was really i didn't i didn't realize that either i didn't even know he got it that's I was, yeah i thought it was it was an intro it was a npr i think interesting that's super cool yeah it's weird how our uh yeah realities are shaped by these very small events and in uh very bizarre ways that's super interesting and even like all the you know all the assassination attempts and you know yeah. hitler was in world war one and yep. survived survived and then uh what was it, the valkyrie the, the tom cruise yeah. movie that, yeah absolutely and they said if the if the bomb hadn't been placed on one right side of that table, side leg, table. yeah, it would have it killed him. Yeah, or if it hadn't been, or if the meeting hadn't been moved to the uh, the house instead of being in the bunker. Exactly. If it would have been in the bunker, the concussive blast would have right. killed would have killed it pretty much anyone in the room, and, and it, it moved, and so they had windows, and yeah, just crazy, you know, little little How events that, that end up having such great impacts. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it, fascinating to me in German culture today how little you can talk about world war ii like i'm i you know essentially which is interesting right and it's also an example of a successful regime change so i when i when i think about it um you know germany there are um you know still stasi officers getting retirement benefits they were probably you know probably even ss officers still getting benefits could be wrong about that uh but you know like making sure you know sweeping things under the rug like that very weird right i don't know it's interesting but i i just finished there's a very popular um german tv show it's it's amazing super complicated it's about time travel <laughs> um it's called dark highly recommended um it's on netflix very good but uh so they time travel you know from the present back to uh, 1880 and all around but magically missed this like 15 year period between around 1930 and 1945. Interesting. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know, just put a black hole and it's just ironic because it's about time travel. Right. But it's completely been erased from the German consciousness that it, that ha- even happened. And that's, I, I, I would, I hopefully will be able to travel over to Europe and explore all Check the, things out. But yeah, that's one thing I've always been kind of interested is how, how do they view it today? How do they manage it? Yeah, how, yeah. And apparently, I've heard it's. Not, and, and, they, you know, they don't really talk. They can. I mean, they kind of know what happened. They know they what happened, but there's it. no need to drag yeah. their nose through the mud or through the dirt. Exactly. You know. And, and I wonder. I, I don't know how the, you know, on average the Japanese deal with it, but it's yeah, interesting. I don't, I don't either. No, I, don't. I know we kind of came in and rewrote their constitution. We wrote it all. It, it's also interesting if you compare Germany and Japan and Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, 
didn't really do regime change as much in Afghanistan. So Iraq, Germany, and Japan. So Germany, Japan, look where they are now. You know, major OECD countries, very wealthy, both very rich, good places to live. Um, Iraq does not seem to be on the same track. No. And we have how many years of experience with the other two, right? Like, pretty odd, right? Yeah. uh, A tough thing to grow. The Middle East is an interesting little area of the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Quite complicated. Uh, yeah, it is. Know. It is very, and I'm. I don't know enough about it to have any. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> any opinions worth uh, echoing? So, right. But it is an entry. Yeah. Yeah, but just an interesting fact. You know, right? I don't know. Fifty, at least fifteen years. Man, I guess. How many, in, how many years? Let me see. Iraq War. This is worth looking up. Let's see. The cl- okay, that's hilarious. Wikipedia claims the Iraq War ended in 2011. Huh. Well, we're still there, so <laughs> I don't know if I can. Maybe it's like a Vietnam and Korea it mission never, accomplished. It never started, or it never en- it never it yeah yeah ended. North Korea never ended. Yeah, it's just an armistice, right, or whatever. Super interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so we've covered a lot of things today. Anything yeah. else worth discussing? Not that I can think of. Cool. So um, what, where's the best place that we can find some bar evergreens here around Christmas time? So the Wilmington lot? Wilmington lot is the your best bet. Gotcha. And are there some social media links I can there share? There are. Uh, I think it's Bar Evergreens Wilmington gotcha. lot. I think, yeah, there's awesome. – I think if you'll Google Christmas trees Wilmington – we pop up gotcha and i know there's there's three or four different facebook pages we've set up that are very cool tree lot wilmington bar evergreens bar evergreens wilmington tree awesome (laughs) every little bit and so i don't know which one of those is the best one but but we do we do have a yeah it's it's we're on facebook okay i think it's on google gotcha awesome uh we do have a website but it's more for wholesale Gotcha. And which that's caused some problems. It's kind of funny. Well, because uh, right now Christmas trees are kind of tight. Really? But, you know, there's kind of a, there's there's a gr- there's a large demand for Christmas trees, and so it, is it is it cyclical in demand, or is it mainly cyclical in the supply? So is it that people will be like, oh man, I can see I can make a lot of money growing Christmas trees, so they plant a lot of Christmas trees. And then things get worse, and people like you that are in it for a long time just stay the course. Mm-hmm. Or is it a fashion thing where people are like, "Wow, I really want a live Christmas tree this year," and it goes up and down? What do you, What do you feel about that? So supply is definitely cyclical. Supply cyclical. You have, uh, gotcha. But so you've had, yeah, you've got natural gluts and uh, yeah. shortages. Just ba- kind of based on the, uh, just exactly how you described it. That. I can make some money selling Christmas trees. I'll plant a and patch. And there's a twelve year lag. Yeah, right? and, yeah, and then you so, get your yeah. So right. we're re- really this is all this all stems from a uh, 2008 kind of the financial crisis. Really, people get, not you know not not being able to afford to plant or couldn't get you know, fun, couldn't, like couldn't, like financing back, for seeds and, and stuff. And back then you couldn't you could you could buy trees for cheaper than you could grow them. So, you know, people just said, well, I'll just buy them and not worry about dealing with them for eight years. And then on oh, top wow. of that, you also had a, a seedling and a seed shortage. 
Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. So it's yeah. And so now we've been in a, a low supply area for interesting. Just probably four or five years now, three or three or four years something. And gotcha. so we're, you know, as bar evergreens, we're starting to climb up out and be able to kind of get back to a more regular. Gotcha. Uh, harvest number. But so how do you, how do you try and plan for that? Because that's a super interesting challenge. Like I'm trying to think, you know, you know, I work in tech startups, mm-hmm. so planning 12 years out, tough to grok, man. You know it, is, I mean? it, it is, which uh, is good. It keeps like you know lower players out. But I, I'm curious, like, how do you decide? Is it just kind of you know you think as much as you can and kind of guess about it, or yeah, you uh, you kind of know what you're annually gonna harvest and cut down so you kind of have an idea of how many trees you'll need gotcha and so you can plant you can plant based on that but then you also and i really i i don't entirely understand it yeah so i've got a few more years of learning apprenticeship apprenticeship uh, and then like i said you can plant your tabletops and then cut through your tabletops and then you've got your trees that can grow up to six five to six six seven and so six to seven seven to eight and those are really your big sellers those are the ones that sell like six well. to seven seven to eight eights to nine gotcha eight to nine. so that's that's your big that's where most of your harvest numbers come from or the the just kind of you know the standard sized trees gotcha and so then based on those numbers you kind of get an idea of how many you can leave for bigger trees Interesting, and so, yeah, it's it's a lot of planning and it's a little bit of luck. Right, absolutely. Luck that, and pixie dust. Exactly. That, no, that's super interesting. And how many trees on average are you guys pulling out of the ground every year nowadays? So we're hoping to get into the forty-five to sixty thousand range. Holy mackerel! And how much land does it take to for those? We have three hundred acres. Wow. And man, uh, that's a lot of trees, man. Yeah. How many truckloads is that? Oh man! And how do you transport them? So they, you, you bundle them up. You bundle them. So we, yeah, well, they go through a baler, which ties them. Gotcha. And then from there, they load them onto trailers. You know, gotcha. 50, Twenty foot track, just a standard. And from the, you take those into the from the fields into the loading areas, and then you've got crews in the loading areas that kind of sort. For us, we 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 do a lot more manual, so we sort them out. Gotcha. You know, they unload it, and if it's a five to six, they stick it right, in right. five to sixes. And we stand ours up on their trunks. Gotcha. And so that's how that's kind of how we, and then from there, they load. you. So then the truck, when the truck gets there, yeah. then you have your elevator, or we use an elevator, so it, which takes the tree from the ground into the back end of the truck, and then from there... Oh, wow. You've got guys in the truck that throw it and stack it into the trucks from the front, 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 back. Oh wow! And so that's kind of the the harvest process. But it's it's about three three weeks of seven days a week. Uh, I don't know how many trucks, fifty or sixty. I would I would guess, but it may be more. Wow! And uh, We've been really lucky for the past couple of years to only have a day or two where we had to stay late, you know, That's eight, good. nine o'clock at night yeah, to load trucks. But, uh, so those are always fun nights after you've been working all day and right, the truck rolls in at six no, o'clock or five go thirty back. and you're Oh man. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, man. 
that's I, I'm just trying to think, are there any other farming activities that require so like the same amount of time investment from like initial planet planting to harvesting um that also requires much labor ongoing because you know you could do like hardwoods yeah and those are like those are a long time yeah but you really i mean you have to clear some stuff sometimes maybe yeah. but that seems to be much lower than every year going and spraying pesticide making sure you make things everything's okay trimming like a christmas tree would be yeah i don't uh I don't know. I would assume the maybe the fruit tree industry. Fruit trees could be it. That's true. And, yeah, because I think they take a little time to, to get, get big enough and mature to produce fruit. But no, I guess going back, I meant to say this earlier. But uh, so some places that when they lo- they'll load them on from the fields, they'll load them onto trailers all at this. They'll load the same size all together. Yeah, and when they get to the to the loading yard. They've either got like a boom, a boom, or a fork, like a big forklift yeah. that will scoop it up and pick, unload the whole trailer at one at one trailer at a time. Oh wow! And from there, you can, if you want to stand them up, you can you can go through and stand them up. Yeah. Or if you want to just leave them laying on the ground, then you're good to go. You're good to go, and so that can greatly reduce your kind of the manpower and required. Then you could have a, a whole another crew loading a truck or. Right, yeah, doing whatever that's super needs to be done. Super interesting. So it's, a, and we're we've got some technological advances. It's still it's still a lot of manual manual labor. Really, and uh, and luckily we've got H two A. Oh yeah, uh, migrant workers gotcha. come in and help us, and a lot of them have been with us for. 20 plus years as long as i can remember that's really cool man and we've got you know brothers and right uh nephews and very cool son-in-laws or brother-in-laws that's awesome you know so it's it's been a lot of fun we've even had some fathers and sons and oh wow that's cool man so, yeah Good recurring so it's stuff. yeah and then that and of course that really helps too having a having people come back year after year and so then they know they know what they're doing it just takes right. a lot of a lot of stress off of off of my I'm dad having too. a little yeah you know having to reteach the same stuff every year right yeah and having a little confidence that you can create you can get some quality consistent quality out of your work you know exactly exactly that when really people helps. know when they get a bar tree they know kind of what they're it's gonna be good it's gonna be good i can attest it's <laughs> awesome you got me one or, one or two before they're awesome super cool awesome well you have anything else I think, I, think we, I think we've done the whole life that's cycle. pretty yeah. <laughs> good stuff awesome well Avery thank you so much for coming on we'll have to have you on again when you get that uh, head coaching job in the SEC <laughs> one day man Can that sounds come? good I'll... absolutely <laughs> well that's our show for today I'm Will Jarvis and I'm Will's dad join us next week for more narratives <laughs> <laughs>